very big hello and welcome to the Big Bright podcast. My name is Amy and I'm the marketing executive here at Bright. For today's episode, we're going to be exploring the exciting world of PR and what better way to do this than with Bright's very own PR agency, Fourth Day. Fourth Day provide PR consultancy for tech companies, charities and non-profits across the globe. From London all the way to Brisbane, Fourth Day's team are experts in using storytelling to cultivate healthy relationships with a brand's audience. For Bright, Fourth Day is vital in helping us build brand authority in the competitive world of tech and digital asset management. So today I'll be interviewing Fourth Day's Lee and Caroline about what goes on behind the scenes of PR, what challenges you might come up against in your own campaigns and how exactly do you attack a PR strategy. So without further ado, hello Lee and Caroline. Hello Amy, thank you very much for having us on. Hi Amy. Hello. So if we could start with, if you could just introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to work at Fourth Day. Yeah, sure. So I'm an account director at Fourth Day. I've been with the agency now for about two years. Obviously, one of those years has been slightly strange if we take COVID into account. Prior to this job, I was working in-house, so client-side as a content strategist. So mainly background is kind of around content, creating content. And that was for a MarTech business as well, actually. So I know the the MarTech world quite well. Caroline, I think you've been with us now for just over a year. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm an account manager at Fourth Day. So I actually joined during March 2020. So quite a strange way to join a company. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, so a very interesting way to to start. It's been really good, actually. It's been uh, an interesting way to sort of learn, get to know everyone, but everyone made it, made me feel really welcome. So despite the fact I kind of joined virtually. And prior to that, I run my own e-commerce site. And prior to that, I was an account manager for several years with an online dating provider, Guardian Soulmates and uh, Times and a few others. Just going back to the COVID thing, we can't really get away from it. How, how have you seen that shift in the last year? Like, has it made PR and the work you do more difficult? Or yeah, what, what's your experience? I think in our industry, and particularly in tech, and we work mainly with B2B tech businesses, I think we've actually been really lucky with COVID, to be honest, because as an, as an industry generally, I feel like it's been relatively well protected. But I suppose fundamentally in the day to day, obviously, the main thing is not being with colleagues and not being able to have those kind of creative brainstorms that we like. I think replicating that virtually or digitally is is quite difficult. Now that we're kind of back into a a hybrid way of working between the office and and remotely, it's working well. But also being able to to ring up journalists and speak to people, and that's a big part of, of what we do. So it's made it quite difficult. But I suppose, as I say, we've been quite lucky with our clients and also with, uh, you know, we were using Zoom anyway. Yeah. COVID, so. Um... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, quite a, a smooth transition. As you mentioned, like you've worked with like MarTech and tech before. How does that differ from some of the other areas that you work in? I mentioned in the introduction that you sort of work with nonprofits and charities. What are the, like the main key differences about tech and some of the challenges? Tech is such a broad catch-all now for lots of different types of businesses. So for us, we've worked with a theatre company who are a tech company, but then also we've got clients in the MarTech space and in lots of other areas of tech as well. So really, it's it's a really broad sweep of, of clients within that industry. I suppose for a client like Bright, for example, working in MarTech, marketing technology, you're up against the thousands, I think, I think over 6,000 different MarTech businesses. So really establishing share voice and uh, within that market is, is something that we're really trying to do for Bright. And that definitely has its own challenges. 
Yeah, definitely. Certainly one of the, the big challenges for us is we obviously have digital asset management software and that's not a very well-known term or it's not a very well-known piece of software. The challenge for us is to get in front of new audiences and build our bright brand so people can come to us as a brand. When you first started working with us, what were the key things that you, you started with in order to build that strategy? One of the fundamental things that we do for Bright, as you just said, is the education element and trying to get the, the marketers who we are trying to target aware of what digital asset management is. I think broadly speaking about tech, you know, there's a lot of sometimes quite technical language that we need to break through and sometimes in marketing as well, some jargon that we need to to try and translate and break, break out a bit. Part of what we've been doing throughout the time that we've worked with Bright, which is just over a year now, is, is trying to, to educate people about what that means. And also just broader brand awareness as well and commenting on other things that aren't necessarily to do with your product and asset management. So whether that's to do with HR policies, brand values, your approach to hybrid home office learning, whatever it might be, those are the kind of areas that we've tried to to dig into as well, as well as talking and educating about the product itself. Yeah, I think as, as Lee just said, a lot of it is to do with education and, and you know, those kind of jargony terms such as MARTAC, you know, being kind of um, a bit of a learning curve as well, just making sure that everyone that we speak to understands, you know, exactly what we're trying to say. And it's, it's quite a fine line as well, I think, between, you know, doing some work on brand education and just making sure the message isn't too salesy. And that's sort of where the beauty of good writing is, good content, and also the way that we we position those stories and those thought leadership pieces. Yeah, exactly. It's good to get a, a fine balance between those things. Touching on that as well, when we first came to you about um, over a year ago now, I know that we weren't entirely sure what to expect from a PR agency. We, were, we just wanted to get featured in the press and get our name out there and stuff. So for people listening who might be in a similar position, um, what kind of things should we be giving you in order to help you help us? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Amy. And I think that really, if you think about it, the world of PR has actually, you know, it's really changed, particularly in the past 15 years. So it's not a surprise, really, that a lot of people might not know exactly what a PR agency does or also what they want it to do. The most important questions for, for an agency to ask a new prospect or a potential client, for me, really PR works best when it's really aligned with the marketing strategy. So that's always what we try and dig into as, as best as we possibly can, understanding what it is that you want to achieve, whether that's ABM that you're running or lead gen or whatever it might be, and then really thinking about how we can position PR alongside that as a channel really in marketing. And I think that then that will help determine what we propose as an agency and what what that might be. So it could be speaking at events, or it could be more broader brand awareness. But some people will obviously think that it includes things like programmatic advertising or paid opportunities and advertorial. I mean, there can be occasions where we might be able to manage a paid campaign for you. But generally, what we're trying to do is establish using thought leadership, establish your credibility and build that brand awareness through content and through media relations and through events, for example. So it really, um, it's important. And that discovery call at the beginning is really important as well. And just to ask loads of questions to your agency and say, can we do this? Is this okay? Is this what PR is and just establishing a really honest, open dialogue really between agency and client and then and no question is a stupid question mentality, I think is really important. 
as Lee mentioned, the discovery call is also just a really good time to check that, you know, how the relationship is, how the chemistry is between, you know, the client and the potential PR agencies, just to make sure that that relationship, that partnership is is there um, and you think it's going to work and you can fire off each other as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So if, I suppose, yeah, PR is all about sort of building relationships. And if, if, if it's not working between your, you and your client, then I guess it's just a, it's a no go. Have there, have you had any occasions where you just think it's not going to work and you have to turn people away? Not in my experience but I think that there are challenges sometimes if there's potentially a lack of communication between clients for example I mean the ideal situation for us is really I mean not to sound too cliched about it is to really be seen as an extension of the marketing team or the communications team whichever team is kind of managing the PR relationship you know that is when it really works really well and the idea of kind of moving towards this strategic partnership as opposed to it being purely working as a supplier that's really important and if we can get to that stage and that is you know a lot of that is to do with with building up those personal relationships and and as i said before having an honest conversation between each other and saying you know actually sometimes something might not work in which case that's fine we need to discuss why it didn't work and then make a plan to move forward as a result of that and that's okay and if we can try and have get to a stage where we both have an honest trusting relationship between each other then that that works really nicely and also here at fourth down and we, we're, we're small we're we're a small agency and a boutique agency and i think that's that's what our clients really love about us in a lot of ways because they do have that personal one-on-one contact with quite senior members of the team and i think people like that approach yeah definitely that's something that's very important to us here as well so are there any things so for anyone looking to hire a pr agency are there any warning signs that they should be looking out for to to, for them to know if the relationship's not going to work as i mentioned before i think chemistry is really important on that discovery call but i think the other thing is is just expectations from both sides and I personally would be slightly concerned if someone was promising the world because it doesn't quite work like that in PR. I think from my point of view, I think those would be a couple of the um, red flags, <laughs> so to say. The way we work with Bright, for example, is usually in kind of quarterly sprints, essentially. So coming up with objectives that we would try and, and reach. And then at the end of the three month period, review those objectives. And I would say that it's important to make sure that those KPIs are continually being reviewed. And again, most most importantly, just making sure that you've got really clear lines of communication with your own agency and you know that you've got that weekly or every other week catch-up call you know how your reporting processes are are working all of that sort of admin stuff is really important and then you can just get on with with all the good stuff really above that so I know that you work with some charities as well and you have a charity that you nominate that you work with. Could you explain a little bit about that? Really, the, the bread and butter or the, the main um, client base for the agency is B2B tech clients. But it's also a really important part of our DNA to work with nonprofits and with charities. So the, the model that we've adopted this year is slightly different from the way that we've worked in the past. So this year we, we work with a nominated uh, one nominated charity, which this year is the running charity. The running charity have bases in Manchester and London so it works really nicely for us location wise because we have offices in both of those locations and they work with young people who are homeless and inspire them to to run really and to to use running as a way to change their lives Uh, so they're a really interesting charity and what what we would do for them is support through a couple of different events in the year that we're going to manage and also some media relations as well yeah and it's a really important part I mean I suppose other companies might have CSR policies for example but for us it's it's really important to to dedicate our time to being able to use our skills that we've got from a PR point of view for charity projects. And that's also something that we have that we do. I mean, recently, both Caroline and I have been working on a project, uh, which is around the G7, which was a, a choir, which is singing a song for the G7 uh, in June in Cornwall. 
so we were working on that, which which was an interesting project and is something that is very different from what we would be doing on a day-to-day basis with some of our tech clients. So it makes a nice change. That's really interesting. So if it's, yeah, it's quite a different thing compared to what you do like day-to-day. If taking the G7 as an example, how did you start building that strategy? Where did you start? What were your expectations and where are you with it now? Well, I suppose with that, it's really thinking about what the end goal is and what what they're trying to achieve. This is probably quite an anomaly of an example because we're working with Sir Tim Rice, the lyricist, who has written this song for the G7. And ultimately, the end goal was is, is to try to get them to actually sing at the G7 summit. So we're hoping that that will happen. Uh, but we're working on that at the moment. But in terms of launching their song and the video that goes along with it, so they were on Radio 4 on Sunday, they're going to be featured on the Today program during the G7 summit. Amazing. Yeah, and they've had some nice broadcast coverage as well. So really, in terms of broad brand awareness, which is what we're doing for them raising their profile and trying to get people to sign up to sing this G7 song if you're uh, in a school or different choirs around the country that's really the goal for that to, to spread this song to as far as, as we can get it the goal for that's quite clear it's pure you know brand awareness we want to get the name out there as much as possible and obviously for some of our other B2B clients that might be slightly different it might not be about brand awareness at all it might be about being really super targeted to get 10 people to sign up to something yeah it's nice as I said it's nice to, to do something slightly different. Just to add to that as well, the other element to the uh, Sing to G7 um, campaign has been, it's also worked on kind of a, a local basis as well, because it's um, a Truro Cathedral choir. So obviously, there's been quite a bit of sort of local pickup as well, with the G7 being in um, Cornwall, the summit. It's been quite an interesting one as well on Twitter, because it's it's picked up a lot of the schools that have got involved because they're supplying education packs to schools and getting them to download the song, not just in the UK, but across the world. So it's got quite a reach as well from hyper-local right through to global. But as Lee said, the end goal is to try and get them in front of the G7 leaders. So watch this space. Yeah, yeah, we will do. So do you do a lot of uh, work on social media as well? If that's part of the marketing strategy, then yeah, we can support it with one of our online educational clients. Then um, yeah, we do. We... we um, put together the, the the social posts for that and the social support and for a few other clients as well as long as it sort of aligns with what they're trying to do. LinkedIn is quite a big platform for a lot of our clients particularly in the b2b world so I know for a couple of clients we manage their LinkedIn profiles for them whether that's the corporate account or whether it's personal accounts as well so um, yeah that is something that we that we do do. Okay. And do you work quite closely with your clients on that? Or do they kind of let you kind of go off and build like a a LinkedIn strategy, for example, or do you have to work quite closely together? Again, I would say with all of these things, it works best when it's a real collaboration and a collaborative process. But obviously, it would be rare that somebody would hand over their LinkedIn passwords and say, you just go away and manage it for us, because most people like to have some element of control. The way that we work with any kind of content and any client would be that it would be approved by the client before it was published anywhere. So for anyone who perhaps can't for whatever reason hire a PR agency do you have any tips for them to start their own campaigns like where should they start and where should they start looking one of the things they need to really think about is positioning so what are they trying to say and who are they trying to speak to where is their audience and obviously that could be anything from trade press specific to b2b and tech through to you know maybe national you know tech writers or freelancers within nationals so you know what we do like to do when we um, start with the client is as part of the onboarding process is do a kind of messaging workshop and just try and work work all that through and try and put together some personas of who they're trying to target and where we'd find those people and 
put together media lists, very targeted media lists as well. So one thing I was going to add to that was the social media elements as well. And obviously social media platforms are all or mostly free. One thing you can do on Twitter, for example, is follow the hashtag journo request or PR request, uh, where journalists will be posting looking for comment for some features that they're writing, sometimes really, really last minute. So if you've got something that you think you're qualified to talk about and you want to add to the conversation you can always submit that through twitter and that's something that you can do for free i would also urge a little bit of caution though i mean if you are depending on what level you're at if you're a startup for example i mean yes social media is free but i would say urge caution with how how it's used because it can also backfire so that's something to just be to be wary of and i think we've seen this a lot in the past particularly the past five years i know we're coming up to the five-year mark of brexit vote aren't we so the past five years there's been such huge political Political, divisive stories. So if you're a CEO of a business and you say that I would like to put my opinions all over my LinkedIn profile and you think one particular thing, but actually most of your prospects or customers even think something totally different, that is quite polarizing. So it's, it's a tricky line to walk. And I think that it's just important to make sure that those social media posts have been <laughs> run through some sort of third party or or, or a, an approvals process essentially to make sure that, that we're not um, going to be really offending people. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one really. And I think, as I say, there's been a lot of divisive stuff in the past couple of years. So it's just urging some caution there. So I guess it's easy for companies to make mistakes if they don't use a, a great PR agency, just like you. Have you seen anything in your experience that's just gone totally wrong, epic PR fails that you would advise people not to do? I appreciate it's not a, a company, but I think one of the best ones I've seen in um, recent times is the government branded posters to retrain. So, for example, as a ballet dancer. Oh, of course, yeah. When obviously the arts industry yeah. was um, was so damaged, and uh, some of the stuff that came out of of that was was hilarious but just <laughs> what on earth were they thinking when they put that out yes um, so I think for me that's that sticks in the mind yeah and I guess as as a PR sort of expert yourself you're probably just pulling your hair out looking at that like what were they thinking yeah <laughs> so just to to build on that point that Caroline made about the government and their messaging, I think there's been a couple of times really throughout the pandemic that really the messaging from them has been quite unclear. I mean, if you think right back to the beginning when it was go to work, don't go to work, and people didn't really understand what they needed to do. So I think in this case, it's really, really important to be really clear what your messages are and what you want people to do. I mean, it couldn't really be more important. But you know, that's also what we, what we do with most of our clients right at the beginning of our time working with them is say, what are the key messages that we want to say and to who in a messaging workshop? And then we're really, really clear about that. In terms of other PR fails, I mean, the most obvious is Prince Andrew from a couple of years ago and that kind of car crash interview that he did for Panorama. I mean, that's the fallout of that, I think, has been obviously for him and for, yes, more importantly, all the people who were involved. Yeah, has been very, very serious. So in terms of preparing people from a media training point of view it's really important to know what it is that you're going to be saying in an interview like that and I think that whoever his PR people were really failed him most importantly failed himself yes yeah agreed so thank you so much for coming in today and talking to us anyone wanting to avoid a PR disaster in the future how can they find you and how can they get in touch yeah, sure. So we're on Twitter at Fourth Day PR or our website, fourthday.co.uk, uh, where all of our contact details are on there. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Really nice to talk to you. Thank you, Amy. 
Thanks for listening to the Big Bright Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to never miss an episode and check out our website at builtbybright.com.